You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Hi guys. Where? We do? Where? Right here. What time are they coming in? <laughs> Mackie and Judd start right now. Yeah. Well, we'll see about that. Don't you don't tell us when we start. We'll decide when we start. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Wow. We're <laughs> cranky this morning. Yeah, I'm Love sorry. Mondays. Don't tell sorry. us what we'll, Get out of here, we'll, Kenny. we'll start now. Okay. Ding ding. A high fly to center field. It's hit deep. Zimmer back. Gone. Oh, walk-off home run for Rosario, his third of the day. A game that had, you know, little twists and turns along the way. Um, it was it was nice to see that we were able to overcome uh, Encarnacion t- taking the lead for those guys. And, you know, we got the Dozier and Rosie homers to put us back ahead. They responded. Um, and then, you know, it, it was Rosie's day. I, I've seen a lot of good days in 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 the big leagues, um, but I don't know if I've seen one that was a little more dramatic than that. Is the season back on? Is the season back on? Uh, and so Three of four. Unless Cleveland goes out and gets some bullpen help, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. And if they don't uh, go out and get bullpen help at some point soon, they should probably all be fired. But if Cleveland does not, if Cleveland continues on the track that they're currently on, which is to say they allow their starters to go as deep as possible and then bring in what is a lot of dreck for a bullpen, the season is definitely back on. And and you've got a fighting chance, boys. you got a fighting chance that if that's the case, the winner of the American League Central will be under 500 when they go into the playoffs. Uh, did, did you see, speaking of their bullpen just being that? atrocious, did you see who they dusted off yesterday afternoon, Cleveland? Left-hander, oh, it, uh, who made his major yes. league debut in 2002, Oliver Perez. Yes, who they signed on Saturday and immediately put in the game. <laughs> and to his credit, he's uh, he's he's pitched two and a third, has not given up a run yet. He has three strikeouts, so he's instantly by far their best reliever until Andrew Miller comes out the disabled list. Yep. But to dust off Oliver Perez, who's played with, I think, every team in baseball and maybe a few foreign teams as well. That's uh, that's pretty desperate. They've got to make a trade desperate. somewhere very, very soon. Yeah, I would think so. I I would say because they're they're so the Twins are five games under five hundred still. It's like you said, their contention is based only on the futility of the American League Central. But mm-hmm. uh, but they've got this is this is the trap you start to fall into here. They're still hanging around, hanging around. They have alligator blood. You can't get rid of them. They're three and a half back. And you could start to do some mental gymnastics and tell yourself, at some point, Buxton's going to come back and be healthy and playing center field at the very least, and then maybe give you a second half surge offensively. Is Polanco going to give you something? Of all this, well, but like it yeah, happened no, last year, Buxton Polanco to, yeah. second half. Yeah. Uh, you know, Miguel Sano showing some pop. He's back in the lineup. Okay, well, when is Irv Santana going to come back in like August? You could start to play this game and say the second half is destined to be much better than the first half. Eddie Rosario, by the way. Um, I, I'll continue the apology tour, having traded him last offseason on behalf of the Twins. But doesn't his style of play, I'm not putting him in this Hall of Fame category yet, obviously, but yep. does his style of play and the excitement and his ability to square up anything from his forehead down to his toes remind you of 
a Vlad Guerrero, Kirby Puckett Puckett. type. It's Puckett. It's it's the same exact thing. Going to swing in almost everything, but can make contact. three home runs on Sunday, and he did not hit one of those pitches as a strike. Someone put a screenshot up of the location of the floor. It's remarkable. One of them, well, the walk-off was a 95-mile-an-hour fastball, top outside corner of the zone, maybe even outside the zone, and he pulls it to the deepest part of the ballpark. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then the look on Clevenger's face, the first home run, which he just flicked the bat out opposite field, and Clevenger looked at him like, what? Yeah, he stared at him the entire time. He's like, you didn't hit that. It's ridiculous. There's no way. Yeah. And then the other one was actually about six inches off the plate inside, turns on it, deposits it into the plaza. And I'm 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 not comparing them as players long term here, but well, if you I mean, but if we'll you see, look but if, but if you look at Eddie's ability to go up there and hit absolute slop, and by the way, the great great thing he has no conscience. It's not like he's up there like all right, I might do this, I might do that. He sees something, he just swings. It, well, yes, and it's a more controlled version of what you saw two years ago, where it was literally just. Okay, the game is tied in the ninth inning, and this is my turn to be the hero. And he would just have in his mind a couple years ago, I'm going to swing at the first three pitches. Right. And pitchers could just throw pitches out of the zone. So he's gotten better at hitting pitches out of the zone in the last two years and letting that pitch that's outside by eight inches or or down and away, just letting it go, spitting on it. Does does yesterday's performance by him stick with with you long term? Do you think? Because you know, I think back to the, there's the famous crew game in '77 when he had the, the huge day where he, I believe it was late June of that year. There was the pocket game in Brewers, Milwaukee, the yeah. six hit game. There's like there's probably a handful of Twins games that, that if you go back and say a player's name, that game immediately comes to mind. Does Rosario's three home run game? I think it has a chance if this leads to something. Now, I think it's. I think this has a chance to be a yeah. lasting impression when you know five, ten years from now when you bring up his name. If this game uh, catapults them now from here, I think that this has the game to be aware. Oh yeah, the Rosario game in early June of uh, of two thousand eighteen. Yeah, sort of a, a signature game. Yep. I mean, three home runs and the last one being a walk off against a division rival. Yes, I think. Signature game, true signature games in baseball are postseason performances. Right? Sure, I'm just talking about game games where where if I talk about a player, there's a game that immediately pops into your mind. Yeah, I mean, there's a few of those. I can think of regular seasons. You, you mentioned a couple of them. Jason Kubel, and if his knees hadn't been so bad, he might have had a different major league career. But that game where he hit for the cycle and that it was the last one a walk off grand slam, or he hit a grand slam to cap yeah. the cycle or whatever in the eighth or ninth inning. Yes, I think that's correct. Uh, so yeah, and and. I, I think Eddie Rosario, maybe it's not this year because they're it, they're a long shot to make noise in the playoffs this year, but they're a long shot to get to the playoffs. But he's the type of player they haven't had who's skilled and can and can just put you on his back for stretches, but the type of guy that can go into Yankee Stadium like he did last year, hit a bomb, mm-hmm. that can go into big playoff series against the Astros and not have urine running down the he, side of his baseball He pants. is completely unfazed. Completely. Ding, ding. I was there last That's night. That's awesome. Um, this is a bandwagon absolutely worth jumping on if you're a baseball fan in the Twin Cities. The atmosphere at Seabird Field. So, by the way, if you're sort of oblivious to what's happening, the Gopher baseball team is now further along 
in the season in the NCAA tournament than they've been since Paul Molitor was their centerpiece in 1977. Last time that they, they went to the World Series was 1977. Yes. That's correct. Now, this is a program, much like Gopher football, that actually has a lot of championship cred going back multiple generations ago, where I think they have the sixth or seventh most NCAA baseball championships of all the schools. But uh, their last one came in 1964. They won three from 1956 through 1964. But uh, they... So the NCAA tournament expanded to 64 teams in 1999. And that's when they came up with the regional, super regional, and then eight-team college World Series format. So basically, if you're going to compare it to the NCAA basketball tournament, the Gophers just advanced to the Sweet 16 for the first time in the 64-team uh, format history. They've never made it this far. John Anderson's been the coach for almost four decades. Yeah, He's never been years. to a Super Regional before. Yep. And part of the... They've only had one losing season in the 37 or 38 years of John Anderson. But it's hard when you're this cold weather climate. You're playing some of your games in the Metrodome previously and now in a football stadium. And you can't get that year-round. You're not going to be able to practice year-round. And you're not going to be able to get the recruits that you would at Florida. But... Right. Um, this is a team with maybe multiple major leaguers on it. Taryn Vavra is one of the best hitters in the country, period, regardless Dan of Wilson's region. Kid. Dan Wilson's yes. kid is a really good catcher. Yes, and and U- UCLA, the team they beat twice this weekend, yep. and, and they and they were up at one point 13-6 last night. This is one of the best programs in the country. It's UCLA. They just won the national championship a few years ago. And just to put into context the type of players UCLA, and they're a little bit down this year, but they're still UCLA. They had... On their same pitching staff, like seven years ago, Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer, who both went in the top three in the major league draft. Yeah, in the top, they both went top three in the major league draft, Mm -hmm. and the Gophers absolutely demolished them yesterday to get to the first super regional in program history. Big Ten, I'm jacked up. If you can't tell, I think it's super fun. Big Ten baseball teams they go to, to the World Series in just for instance in 1984, Michigan went a Big Ten baseball. This is just to get there. Yeah, yeah, to get there, not to win it. Michigan went in 84. A Big Ten team did not go back to the College World Series until Indiana in 2013. Wow. So they basically don't go. That's amazing. So if, if these guys go, it's a remarkable feat. So Indiana, and Tracy Smith went with Indiana, and then and then he basically, and I think Arizona State hired him, Shorber's and so we'll give you more correct? money. Yes. But so, so you had a gap from 84 to 2013. No Big Ten school went. So has anyone been from 2013 till now? Or no, with, so that's if, it. if the Gophers could take... and. So the Gophers are going to play Oregon State in Corvallis. Two of three is the format. you got to win two out of three, then you get to the A-team College World Series. Correct. So if they could do that, and smarter people than I do who are plugged into college baseball have said, I said, how many times out of, out of ten do the Gophers take two of three from Oregon State? Oregon State has maybe the best infield college prospect. I don't know who coaches Oregon State. Oh, I th- thought you, you said it was a uh, Brooke Jacoby. I thought you said. What? I thought you said Brooke Jacoby coaches him. Who's Brooke Jacoby? Former Indian player. Brooke Jacoby? Yes. He said Jacoby Ellsbury Jacob- played oh, at Oregon Oh, State. that's what you said. I thought you <laughs> said like, they were coached by Brooke Jacoby. My oh, bad. No, I'm sorry. no. Their program was sort of dormant until Jacoby Ellsbury uh, went, okay. uh, played you, 10 David. years ago. Yeah. My bad. Pat Casey is the head coach of the Oregon State Beavers <laughs> okay. baseball What is Brooke Jacoby doing these days? <laughs> I don't know, but I thought he was coaching Oregon State okay. for a second there. Hey, uh, my, my, oh, my, my screw up. My screw up. But but they, so smarter people than, than me when it comes to college baseball said the Gophers 
The Gophers are absolutely no joke. They are a potential college World Series team without getting there you know, via fluke. Mm-hmm. And they probably take two out of three, three or four times out of ten from Oregon State. Oh, really? So, so this is like a, a legit chance. shot this okay, weekend. Cool. Yeah, Their lineup is legit. And like I said, Taryn Vavra is takeaway region, takeaway you know, history of program. One of the best hitters in the country. That's awesome. Brooke Jacoby has been the hitting coach for the Toronto Blue Jays. Okay. Oh, so he, started, so he could have coached Oregon yeah. State. So there so would have been a, a chance. For Thank you, as well. Thank you. I was like, when did Brooke Jacoby play? <laughs> I thought you'd said Brooke Jacoby. <laughs> it's Monday. It's early. It's early on a Monday. My bad. Um, did you make it to any of the games at Seabird this weekend? I did not. So I made it to, the, to the one yesterday. and they So they had 2,500 fans, which is like probably f- several hundred standing room only tickets, too. It was such a fun group. It's hardcore baseball fans. It's smart baseball fans. And it was heckling baseball fans. So it's not like like I was at the, the Twins game earlier in the day, too. And that's more, it's casual and kids day on a Sunday, right? Right, and yeah. It's fans not, it's not this hardcore was like into it. super engaged 2,000 plus fans heckling UCLA pitchers oh, and fun. managers and the coaches. And just like understanding the value of... You know, a good baseball play and cheering, standing ovations for sacrifice bunts and things like that, right? Online last night, I will say, uh, say this. I thought the, the, there was a pace of play problem in the big leagues. Oh, man. College baseball has a bigger pace of play problem than that. Well, I'll, I'll say this, though. Those games do last forever. The, it's not as much pace of play in college because there's action. The games just take a long time. Right, just the time of the game. Because they scored yeah. 21 runs combined, and that's... Yep. There was a game... I think it was was it Mississippi State and Oklahoma in a regional. It was like twenty to ten was the final score, which is a four hour game yep. easily. And also UCLA made about nine pitching changes. They just ran it. That's if you go to the losers That's bracket, Frank you got to win like two or three extra games. Yeah, Francona went four pitchers, he four batters to, yesterday. He, he loves to do that. He needs it to dri- calm down. It drives me crazy. Cleveland games take forever because of the fact that Terry Francona, once he goes to his bullpen, won't quit coming out and going matchup, matchup, matchup. Yeah, he literally went four pitchers for four different batters yeah, at one point. you could be the there for a long time because of him. So jump on the bandwagon if you're a baseball fan. This is probably, I mean, they A, they haven't been this far, and B, this is the first time in 20 years that they had a chance to host the regionals. So now they're not going to play any more home games, but you can watch yeah, it. No, but it's still cool. Uh, Kyler's going to come in here. We're going to talk about a million things. We have a mock for Collar as well because he loves mocking. We have uh, Twitter drama to get to. And Judd Zolgad on Saturday attempted the Houston Rockets three-point challenge. We'll have a review of that I when we come back. told you it didn't go well. Spoiler alert. What do you mean it didn't go well? I thought you got some... Well, we'll talk about it. <laughs> I thought the weather really impacted your shooting motion. TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. Wow, the suspense. This is a cliffhanger. Mackie and Judd. Cliffhanger. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. Gentlemen, the moment has finally arrived. On 1500 ESPN. No, no. I can't let this really turn off. All right. If you haven't seen it yet, Facebook.com slash 1500 ESPN. We've got it up on our Facebook videos page. Judd Zolgad taking the Houston Rockets three-point challenge. They went 0 for 27. Collar's in here from from the Purple Podcast, and you are the host of the Houston Rockets three-point challenge on our Facebook page. People can find it on your YouTube page as well. Uh, The Rockets went 0 for 27 for a stretch during their last game. Was it the was it game seven they did this? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So if they just basically if they would have hit like two of them or three, they would have been. So we figured. 
who is the least likely to make a basket among us? And that person can probably have a chance to make one of 27, right? Right. <laughs> what Collar thought. And the floor is yours. Well, the first what thing. What happened? I mean, the first thing that came to mind for me when the Rockets missed all those was I wonder if Judd could outdo the Rockets. So we decided to go to a local park and see if Judd could make one three out of 27. Now, this is knowing Judd's age and the fact that he hasn't shot a basketball in around 20 years. Mm hmm. So never like messing around with family or like a like a nephew or a no, cousin or something. No, dead serious. I was trying last night. I was trying to think back to the last time I shot a basketball before Saturday, and I honestly think it might have been the early nineties. But you've been mem- a member at gyms over the past fifteen. You've never stumbled into the basketball area no, of like a no. lifetime and hoisted a couple threes. No, sir. So I, I thought, okay, you know, he'll probably look pretty bad and he'll miss most of them. But if we could just get one to go down, it would be really funny because then we could say that Judd is better than the Houston Rockets. Right, right. Who went to the Western Conference Finals. But, um, Judd, you want to tell him how it went? <laughs> well, let me tell you right now, Matthew Collar. It did not go well. Well, you, here, okay. He went so, 0 for 27, mind he, you. He did. Oh, but it's and how I went 0 for 27. So the first shot was an attempt to shoot a basketball like a normal person would, and it went about six feet in the air. I'll say one thing. Matthew Matthew <laughs> was the- under <laughs> the distinct impression. I think he thought, because I kept saying, Matt, I don't have a form. And I think you thought, oh, you've got a form. It's just going to be really ugly. And then so I got out there, and it's rainy and drizzly, and the ball's wet, and and it's a fun idea, but you know I'm not going to sit there and say I, you know, give me pointers or something. So I just take a normal, really short shot. I wouldn't say it was normal, but well, it, it, I take it. I I attempt a short <laughs> shot, and I can hear collars start to like be, really, that's. <laughs> And now just, take, just take it, it from there his, because you you were amazed. You thought I had a form, and I was sort of lying. Warm up shot which was not even from the free throw line, missed everything. And it was like, okay, all right, stop messing around. Yeah. This is, come on. Like, that's not that's not your real shot, is it? Like, are you just screwing around? He, he made a couple layups, so I thought, like, okay, this will be, be all right. And then it, he gets out to the three-point line, and he's trying to get some, uh, maybe like a wide base. <laughs> he lean, leans down as if he's squatting, and jumps maybe three inches off of the ground, and the ball looks like it was in a wind tunnel and just died. And three bounced to me, and I and on the video I go, "Oh my god!" Oh god! <laughs> no, no, it's okay. But, okay, this is the post game interview with Judd after going oh. 0 for 27. I, I think what happened there. I mean, it's all correctable. Just got to break down the film, which clearly I can get from you. And I think if we go back and look at that, what you had was a lot of, you had a lot of good shots there. You had a lot of, and a new technique. This is the thing about it that people don't get. In 30 years from now, they're going to talk about the Zolgad technique. Jamar Skyhook was nice, but look at what I just did. I took that Skyhook and I took it out. I took it out and I modernized it. Yeah, uh, now that's part of it. Is So after he tried an actual basketball shot and it only went about six feet in the air, I was like, overhand, Overhand, baseball throw. Did you consider, all right, so you went, you tried to go with kind of a, it was like a two-hand, top of the key, uh, you jumped off two feet, squared up to the hoop, and the ball went maybe five feet in the air and then kind of rolled to the basket. I thought the ball slipped out of his hand in fairness. The conditions were wet. Did you consider after the one-handed sort of baseball throws, after going maybe 0 for 10, this is what I would have suggested, the granny shot. Swallow your pride. Granny shot, get some more lift, a little softer so, landing on the rim. So I got home and told Dawn, 
I did this and I missed them all and I was awful and it was brutal. And she said exactly what you just the said. Granny well, show. why did you at least? She said, I could have made one with the grant. And I said, it didn't even occur to me. Yeah. Same even thing. I, I didn't even think of it. Who I guess had to, to give up my man card with this terrible display on Saturday. Even I didn't think of the granny shot. As an alternative here. I love how Collar steps up and just cashes one on Chuck's <laughs> shoulder. I shoot every day. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I propose. I think we need to get, we need phase two of this. If we got Judd a shooting coach for yeah. like six sessions. Yeah. Six. It, six sessions with a shooting coach. Okay. Or, or some total of like six hours with a shooting coach. <laughs> how much... How much better could he fare shooting 27 threes in a month from now? It reminds me of when they used to do stuff like at the Pro Bowl, and they would have some guy that won a contest from Dr. Pepper or something, and he would have to kick a field goal. And you would watch the guy warm up. They'd be like, all right, he's been working with Adam Venetari yeah. all week. One of the greatest kickers of all time has been teaching Ted how to kick. And, and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be, yeah. This. Yeah, and then he comes out with just like these like old man track <laughs> shoes or something and then just shanks it eight feet. And you're like, yep, that's Judd. That's Judd trying to shoot. We could take all day. Like I myself have worked on my shot a lot just for fun, just to try to, you know, exercise. And I have a park next <laughs> to my house. Just to try to, you know, exercise. exercise. I, I mean, I, I, I don't like I don't like lifting weights or I don't like going to a gym. It's much better for me, especially with all the great parks in Minnesota, to just go outside and shoot. And there's a lake next to the park, and it's really nice. And so, but I want to be good at it because I'm kind of competitive. So I started watching YouTube shooting videos and stuff like that. So I've gotten to be pretty good at it. But I don't. I always was good at shooting the basketball. I don't know how much he could get better with that. So, all right, here, here's the question then. And I want, I want Dave's commentary on this too. But if you read the comments on the Facebook page, on the, on Twitter, it's mostly people saying, wow, Judd, you should never talk about sports again. Yeah, that was my favorite. You should trade in your man card. Second favorite. And one guy, one guy on Facebook said, you should, you should jump off. Like you should end your life basically oh, after wow. watching the video, which I feel like is a little extreme. Yeah, I probably won't be doing how that. How do one. you feel with such negative feedback on this video? I'm amazed. Where's your head at right now? Uh, two things come to mind. One, I'm amazed at how people are take life like like. Oh my gosh, how could you do this to yourself? How could you out your, yourself? Because I sat here all last week and said I have no form, and I knew that. I knew I had no form. Um, the other thing I love though is this notion that people thought until this came out, Judd's an athlete. <laughs> That's why Judd, Judd can talk sports. I think there's always been Judd, some mystery. There's Judd's always, an athlete. There's always been some mystery. Like, I don't think anyone thought you were an athlete. I think people, you always talk about how much you aren't an athlete, yeah. but no one has ever experienced like basketball Judd in the way that we saw in, in the five minute video. I, I had a couple pe- people say, you know, my sixth grade son has a better shot. And in sixth grade, I actually had a shot. But it is, <laughs> it is hilarious the, the responses of, you're going to have to give up your man card. I think that stuff is it's this this was worth doing just to get the feedback of of how people like react to a person who is willing to go out and look like a complete fool, which I did on Saturday. I think it says a lot about you as a person how you react to this video. Because if you're like Wow, Judd, I mean, you have some coins down there to go out and do this and show the world that uh you know, this is how bad you are at sports, and that's hilarious. And oh my God, that's the worst thing I've ever seen. That's a normal reaction. And then there's the, oh, 
gotta give up his man card. You should never talk sports again, man. You, you, like, went, you went okay. to a Lynx game? Yeah. You didn't yeah. return in your yeah, man like, card. I'm pretty sure you can connect all these things to like, hey, do you drive a pickup truck? For no reason, you don't live on a farm or anything. Overcompensating. Hey, hey do you uh, do you play softball and you got a custom jersey and wear uh, you know wristbands? That's like, are you that with guy? a Z you, on the back? Are you that kind of guy? And like, I mean, can you can someone have Bob Costas throw a baseball? Like, what does that have to do with this? I mean, this job is having fun talking. But this about was sports. fun. I think. I, mean, I think. This was fun. I think. All right, I want Dave's thoughts on this. I think the thing I'm most fascinated by is that. As much as you love and are obsessed with sports, that you went 20 years without even picking up a basketball at a grill out and like flinging it toward a hoop, or that you went through phi ed class in junior high and never like learned how to shoot a free throw with form, I'm I'm mesmerized by the gap. Just quickly, that, I learned I learned it. It's gone. The it's, muscle memory's gone. It's, it's, it's the muscle totally memory gone. Yes, issue. it's okay. totally gone. It's amazing to me, and I've been watching this thing. On loop now since the start of the segment. By this thing, I mean the first shot. And I just froze frame it here. This is Judd's form upon release of the first, very first shot. The ball that went about six feet in the air. You know, his launch angle is a problem. And I will say, launch angle was a problem. But, I mean, he lined it up. That thing one-hopped the post that the hoop stands on. I mean, he, he hit that post straight on. So, Accuracy. I mean, yes, he was accurate, just, you know. You, you got to get it up. And a lot of great shooters will say that. I mean, if you hit the front of the rim or the back of the rim, you know I was accurate, mm-hmm. and that's what's really important. So he missed, yes, four or five feet below the rim, but his accuracy was on. He did come close. Once he started taking, like, hook shots, he did come close, and he hit the rim probably four or five times. As, and the last shot, I got behind him for the last shot, so we could sort of count it down. Very dramatic. And, dramatic. And it, was, it was like the Michael Jordan, Craig Elo shot. It was it was on target. <laughs> he compared it to that as I yes, set it up. He's like, this is where Jordan and Elo were. Yeah. <laughs> the difference is we're just in St. Louis Park and you can't hit a shot to save your life. But it was on target. It just hit front rim and bounced away. And then uh, we did end the video with Judd trying to talk smack to me and me cashing a three. Yes. It will never <laughs> yes. cease to amaze me. And maybe it should because... We know Judd. We've known Judd long enough to know that he's the most unathletic person I've ever seen. But how somebody who loves sports and athletics so, so much can be so terrible at everything. I don't know. I mean, think about the number of people who talk about, write about, and just love music who have no musical ear. I mean, didn't American Idol show us this? That all these people would try to sing the Star Spangled Banner to that British dude who was really mad all the time, and it would just be a total disaster. Let let me ask... Go ahead, finish that. Well, that's just this is why we like watching them do it because we're so amazed at how good they are. And and what's harder, learning how to play? Could could Judd learn how to play an instrument or shoot ten out of twenty-seven threes? An an instrument to sound like real music, like like if we tried Judd from scratch how to how to play a clarinet versus how to shoot like no, it'd take a while. I bet I could. I bet I could could form an ugly shot that that would at least work occasionally. You could could form an old man set shot. We could get you. Yeah, we could hook you up. First of all, we do have to point out that this was not NBA range three pointers either. No. This was like high school court. Correct. Uh, but Judd, you always say your greatest sports accomplishment came on the uh, on on the on the on the asphalt, right? Oh, street hockey. Street hockey. Oh, yeah. You were Trediac like in very goal. good goal. Yes, very that's reflexive. muscle memory. If yep. we set you up with a group of twelve year olds right now playing street hockey, put Judd in net. Do you think you'd be able to hand, uh, hold your own? Oh yeah. Yes. I could definitely do that. Yep. 
Yep, because you don't have to stop the puck or a tennis ball. You don't have to have the the same. Who's our point about hockey and goalies, by the way? But go ahead. No, I, I was just really good at it. <laughs> I was just really good at it. I think I could do it. Now I'm not sure though. I'm not positive, but I think I could. Well, I think this might be I verbally think we could binding. Set that up. This might be. We got to go back to the same park. As long as you get, as long as I'm provided with a cup, I'll do it. Okay. Well, we can probably. Arrange I have to have that. proper protection because it would really hurt to get hit by a puck or a tennis ball. And you know what? If you want, I could do that. I will volunteer as the least hockey guy of all of us. I will shoot the the pucks or the tennis balls. I say we do it. I will I'll shoot. Non hockey guy will shoot the pucks. Little left handed shot. If I think back to Fayed. And Jeb will stand in goal. Is there we any, can make this happen this week sometime. Is there anything that you are worse at than basketball? Or is that not possible? Like any sport that you just, oh, I think, no way. I think, if you, I think if you set a pitching machine at a legit major league oh, baseball yeah. fastball, that's I don't think everyone. I make contact. But that's everyone. I, I but I, you're I, just asking. I think that would be bad. I see you as a swing and miss kind of golfer, too. Another thing that's funny about this yeah. is the um, yeah, I could see that. the Vikings players were at the Twins game the other night, and they were taking BP, and Everson Griffin hit a home run. But there was a video of Stephon Diggs that looked like the oh, version of Judd playing basketball, yes. of him playing Diggs baseball. Diggs worse than me? And he is a professional athlete. It was and bad. It looks Swinging like, a bat in a cage against like batting practice pitching. And it, Kirk Cousins, by the way, has an amazing baseball swing. Like front load, like, like perfect mechanics, crank... But you're right, Stefan Diggs looked it, like he had never seen a baseball field in his entire life. Right. So that I mean that sort of speaks to like if you don't do it ever, then of course you're not just going to magically have a decent form. Yeah. Uh the video, if you want to see it <laughs> in all its glory. On Twitter too. This is great. Facebook.com slash fifteen hundred ESPN. <laughs> Click on the videos tab and, and you'll find it. We have Twitter drama to get to and a mock just for Matthew Collar, Mackie and Judd. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. And you know what they need? Tweaks. Tweaks. Some tweaks. Tweaks. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie. You called him the little guy. I don't know why you have to pick on his physical appearance. Huh? I don't. He's a good Here's looking guy. Judd Zolgad. Grumpy SOB. Mm-hmm. He's a sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves him. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right. All right. Now we get into the meat and potatoes of this hour. With Matthew Collar, 1500ASPN.com. Go check out his multi-part Kirk Cousins series. Actually, we should. Uh, you posted part three late last week, right? What they would do um, in key situations offensively. We can get to that this hour as well. But we have Twitter drama. The brother of Eric Kendricks, Michael Kendricks, who worked out for the Vikings last week, reports surfaced over the weekend, starting with Ian Rapoport from NFL.com, that Kendricks was either had agreed to a contract or was set to sign with the Cleveland Browns. And then that news started to spread all over the place. Adam Schefter confirmed it, I think you saw, Judd. Yeah, this morning. Okay, so it's been like confirmed and spreading around. Kendrick's agent said, quote, a deal has not been reached with the Browns. Cleveland is the favorite, but negotiations are ongoing. Again, a deal is not done. Kendrick's himself said to the Pioneer Press, no, it's not accurate. I don't know who the bleep said that. That bleep is bleep. <laughs> Whoever said that bleep is bleep. 
That's all I have to say, man. You're not saying, like, you're not covering the swear words. They were actually written that Correct. way. Correct. Yes. <laughs> I, don't know what, I don't know what the actual swear words I are. Know. We can only I was estimate. trying to figure that out. Uh, I'm not really talking to anybody else about it. It's bleep. I don't like people like that. I don't respect <laughs> people like that. And that's all I have to say. And then he proceeded to tweet at Ian Rappaport, you will never have my respect. Baffling. Is this going to be a tail between the legs? He goes and signs with the Browns anyway. Yeah, I mean, there's so many reports that the deal is done with the Browns that he's signing with the Browns. Yeah. I mean, Ian Rappaport Super works weird. for the NFL-run media and does not get these things wrong. I mean, it's extremely rare that he does because the teams give it to him or the agents give it to him, and they just call him and say, Yep, we got a deal done with Kendricks, and he says, okay, I'll tweet it out there. It's really that simple. So what's his problem, So, so what is his problem? That's I don't know. Are they, is it possible they were trying to use the Browns as leverage? Hey, Could be. there's a team over here, and then they really don't want to pull the trigger on the Browns. And sometimes guys are just flat out weird. Yeah. Like, it's like, okay, it's going to get out there eventually. Who cares? Michael, um, Michael though, I, I met him at an event that Eric Kendricks is doing, and he is an awesome guy. I mean, he's like the... Opposite of Eric Hendricks, a hundred percent. Like, like Eric Hendricks isn't an awesome guy, or no? Well, okay, not a hundred percent. He, <laughs> their personalities are completely different, even though they're brothers. Like Eric is very like quiet and understated, has wants nothing to do with media at all. Like if that same reporter had called Eric Hendricks, there's no way he talks to him. Like if if he's if there are TV camera around, Eric has nothing to say. He's just like that. And with Michael, he's really like outgoing and and talkative and all that stuff. And we just had a conversation with him the one day that he was at Eric's event about like his first time fishing and all these things. So I was like rooting for Kendricks to come here from the media standpoint. Like, oh, this guy would be great if we got him here and you can see why. But he's a different kind of cat. So I don't know. Maybe he was annoyed. There must have been something that got under his skin about that being out there. Maybe he hadn't told his family yet or what, you know, I mean, if he didn't tell his brother that he wasn't going to come play with him in Minnesota, maybe that's what upset him. I, I can't really even begin to guess, but I did find it very interesting that on your guys show on Friday, Doogie said that he had heard that the Vikings were offering Kendricks more than just a base package type of role, which made me wonder if they'll still look at some of the other guys that are out there on the market. I mean, the free agency has you know come to a crawl, but there are still some situational-type pass rushers or some linebackers that are still out there. The linebacker addition don't make sense. If they're going to sign Barr to a long-term extension, it would make a lot of sense to get w- way more creative with how you use him in 2018, right? So instead of being because Barr as a linebacker is fine, I don't I don't know that, that he consistently is a game changer, but I think he has the athletic ability collar to be to be a guy that can change a game. But I wonder if they've said, okay, we're going to try and get another competent linebacker in here so that we can play that player consistently a little bit more. And then Barr starts to play, starts to have a hand down sometimes, uh, and starts because the one thing with him that we always thought was coming that I don't think we've seen consistently is a role where he becomes, you know, for second down, he's doing this third down. He goes and does something different and you keep the, you keep the offenses a little bit then off balance. 
I thought last year we would see him rush the passer more because he's not really great in coverage. And he was much better in coverage, especially on running backs last year than he was in 2016. His tackling improved a lot, which made me think 2016 there was probably an injury there. It's the only thing that makes sense when you have two great years and then one very good year, and then there's a horrible year mixed in that he was probably trying to play through injury at that point. Uh, But he rushed the passer about the same percentage. It's one out of about every 10 pass snaps, which I think it could be more. And if you're trying to create a little bit of a rotation up front or you're trying to get Everson Griffin some breaks from time to time, Griffin was playing like 95% of snaps. I mean, if you're trying to get him a rest every once in a while so you've got him late in games and he's feeling a little fresher or late in the season where he started to slip last year with his injury, then Barr makes a lot more sense than to Sean Bowers, Stephen Weatherly, or these other guys who haven't done anything. Adea Runa, who is the, the draft pick, I, I wouldn't expect he's going to make the team. He's probably like a, a very fringe, but more likely a practice squad guy. So the only one who's proven that he can get after the passer in, in the past is Anthony Barr. Except you, if you're going to move him over there and still play nickel package, then you're going to have to have another linebacker because... Ben Gideon is more of a run stuffer. So there, I mean, Navarro Bowman is still on the free agent market. He hasn't signed with anybody. That's an intriguing name. There's also a couple guys who rush the passer who haven't found places yet. Junior Gallette, who played for Washington, also played for the Saints, was really good. Connor Barwin is another guy. Willie Young, who you know from the Bears. And uh, Robert Ayers played for Tampa Bay for a while. All these guys are just sitting out there waiting for a job. And if they look at these players in OTAs and go, yeah, there ain't anybody that's going to get after the passer here. And and they brought back Brian Robinson, but, I mean, at his age, he didn't produce a whole lot last yeah, year. Yeah, he's got to be just almost like an assistant coach, kind of a part-time player role, right? right? I'm, I'm not expecting him to play a large portion of snaps, so I, I think it's possible that they still look at some of these other guys. Yeah. Uh, my biggest question with all of this, the Kendricks thing, why do people hate Ian Rappaport so much? Remember when, when Jason Lock and Fora mm-hmm. tweeted at him, do not ever have my name cross your lips again? <laughs> And now, Eric, and now, uh, Michael Kendricks is. I will never respect you. The the NFL media has like this weird sort of dichotomy of you have like I want to call them like regular reporters who go to facilities and they talk to players and they write articles and you, some write big long features like I do or some write your daily news and then there are just like these five figures who break. Every single story because they either belong to an agency that gives it to them that's signing the player or because they work for the NFL media and the and the team is giving it out to them. And it seems like they have this sort of like battle going on within each other. And then also people kind of dislike them because maybe they run with things before they should or things that are a little bit shoddy at it's times. It's petty at times. Because even when they make mistakes, it like doesn't see, it just sort of slides off. It doesn't them. matter. Yeah, 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 I mean, there have been plenty of times where any of those guys, I know, I forget which one it was, but when I was in Buffalo, there was a guy who was really out to get the general manager, it seemed, and almost every week he'd have some new note about how the guy was getting going to get fired, and then they signed him to a contract extension right after that. Yeah. And it was like, well, okay, Schefter, so... Schefter Clearly, there's something going on here. Schefter was the one who had the schism report in the Vikings locker room in 09. This yeah. is yeah, this is like almost a decade ago now. A schism that some was it some players were loyal to T Jack and didn't want Favre, and so, like some wanted Favre, some wanted T Jack. Yes. And Jared Allen would literally in the locker room every day would walk by the the cavalcade of reporters and be like, "Oh, there's a schism!" Like, "Oh, it was just a big 
running joke inside the Vikings. So maybe there's two players out of 53 that were like, Favre's too old, we like T-Jack. And and turn that into like national schism headline. Yeah, and I think because the NFL is very much more in media, like cutthroat, than when I was covering hockey. When you're covering hockey, there's like three people who are really respected who get a lot of the scoops. And it doesn't seem that there's ever any conflict involved with those people. But with football... I think part of it is that we never cover games. I mean, we spend 95% of our lives not covering games, whereas hockey, baseball, whatever. Yeah, I'm trying to find stories. You're, you're always you know, knee-deep in the season, but you're just fighting for stories all the time. And it's, it's really weird because I think people who want to get into the industry, they're like, yeah, don't you want to be like a Schefter? Like, that's not really what I do. I mean, Three I, phones. I, yeah, I mean, two that's, landlines. It's not really what I want. Eighteen do. typewriters. I mean, I'm so much more interested in like storytelling. John, what John D. Filippo's offense is going to be. Which like, let's than, talk about that when we come back. You you wrote a great story for 1500ESPN.com, essentially highlighting things the Vikings could do in key situations offensively with Kirk Cousins and John D. Filippo. Kyler hanging out with us, Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd are back after this brief timeout. Let's go. Come on. We're waiting. On 1500 ESPN. You know, now, back to Mackie and Judd. I'm ready. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on 1500 ESPN. And now up for grabs on the 1500 ESPN stream player, a $15 iTunes gift card. Thanks to Luther Brookdale Toyota Shop or Mackie Shops. Head to 1500ESPN.com and click on the stream player to find out how to win. TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd, Matthew Collar for a, one more segment here. We are going to talk about uh, the go for quarterback situation next hour as well. But, sir, speaking of quarterbacks, you have come out with part three of your uh, Kirk Cousins opus. And and so so you actually told me for, for this one you went and got a book and studied and studied about how, how the Vikings plan to use Cousins or the tendencies. Go with that. Yeah, there's a guy named Bobby Peters who studied every third down by the Philadelphia Eagles and the Los Angeles Rams last year. And he drew, he's a football coach. He's also an engineer. So, like, he's a football coach on the side. And he drew up every concept that they used and the different variations of all the concepts and then ran the numbers on them. So, the average distance to go and the success rate and all those things. So, I read over this book of the Eagles offense and looked for what concepts would really fit different Vikings players. So for example, there's an all curls play that they would do that. I think people can sort of visualize where there's four guys on the field, three wide receivers to the left, one tight end to the right. And then they all run curls past the sticks. They have that play on Tecmo Super Bowl. For sure. It's it's a shotgun every, every formation play, right? Dave knows yep. what I'm talking yep. about. I hated 100%. it because because if all the receivers were covered, it was impossible to complete a pass. Four button hooks and then the, the running back came out topside on the left yep. side. Yep, yep. for and, sure. And that, that's yep, Delvin that, Cook. That yeah. was a real concept that they would use, and they would have different looks and different variations of it. And for someone like Kyle Rudolph, that might be a good play in a key situation because he's so big that he can box people out, basically, on that type of route. That's one example. I mean, there's a bunch of different concepts that I go over, ones that would work really well for Thielen Diggs, ones that would work well for Delvin Cook. And then with Kirk Cousins, I was looking at something that would be quick for him to read at the line of scrimmage, 
that would work against any sort of defense where he wouldn't have to go off script. Because one of the things that is noticeable about Carson Wentz is just how awesome he is when things break down. Like He can make special plays. He's an incredibly good runner. I mean, at least he was. We'll see with, yeah. the, we'll see yeah. with the knee. Maybe too good but, of a runner. Yeah. But, I mean, he was so good at when things broke down. And that's, I think, what made him special last year from just a guy executing an offense to somebody who was leading a team that was, what, 12-3 and three when he got hurt or 11-3 and three or something like that. But uh, that's something Cousins doesn't do so well. So it's got to be more in key situations where he can get from read to read to read and make the correct decision because he is very smart. He really understands the game super well. He's got good footwork. He's got a good arm. He's pretty accurate. So all these things would work on something like slants where Thielen and Diggs can beat their man on a slant and just get open in the middle of the field. And and sort of like what I try to do is tailor these different schemes to what would work for these guys. And what John D. Filippo has to be feeling right now is like it's Christmas because these wide receivers and Delvin Cook, like they could do almost anything. Yeah, there, there are very few players who are limited in this offense. Is it fair to say that not only with just the top end talent you have at these skill position uh, spots, but the Vikings might have the most versatile plus talented group of skill position players in the NFL. Is that too much of a stretch to say that? I don't I'm not saying that they have so. Odell Beckham Jr. on their team or that they have David Johnson, but they have these guys who can do almost anything. I, they're not that far away from having those things. And Delvin Cook could be one of the best running backs in the NFL, assuming that he comes back uh, all right. And last year... Uh, Cook or uh, I'm sorry, Diggs and Thielen were in the top ten rated by Pro Football Focus. I mean, what's amazing about those two guys is that they swapped roles from 2016 to 2017. Where in 2016, Diggs was the slot receiver, and then last year, Thielen played more of his snaps inside than he played outside. And with both guys, it worked really well. I mean, both have exceptional percentages when you go deep to them, intermediate routes to them, short routes and yards after the catch. John Filippo can dial up almost anything for these guys and know that they're going to win that route. And Elshon Jeffrey's okay now. He was probably better a few years ago. Uh, Nelson Aguilar is like just a guy, but he's fast. Those were the guys he was working with. Now he's got more speed better hands, better ability to win routes. The only difference, I think, from the Eagles where they would have had the skill advantage is at the tight end position. Zach Ertz is an elite tight end. He's basically like an Adam Thielen or Stephon Diggs, only the tight end version, where he can go deep, short, intermediate, win routes. He's hard to guard. He can box people out with his size. And that's where we'll see how they're going to use Kyle Rudolph because we know Filippo loves his tight ends, but Rudolph is much more of a wins-in-the-red-zone type of player now and not all-levels type of guy. Okay, Mr. Film, tell me this. When, when you went back and watched Cousins in Washington and things broke down and he didn't succeed, why? Did, did you put it all on him? Was it partially on play call as well? Where, where, where does the blame lie and, and the opportunity uh, to improve this? Because as you've talked about several times, clearly if things were breaking down around him with the Redskins, it didn't go well. I think one of the biggest things I saw was when things broke down around him, he was slow to react on that. Like he's pretty fast. He can run when he's asked to run. And he's had some pretty good plays when he runs on a bootleg or something like that. But a lot of times it's you have to get rid of the ball, Kirk. Like he is number one in the league in fumbles over the last three years. And a lot of them are the pressure is coming. Things are breaking down and he's still 
trying to be Mr. Hang in the pocket and take the big hit as he throws it. There have been some special plays because of that, but there's also been a lot of turnovers because of that. And so sometimes it's it's not just under pressure, but it's sensing that pressure first and knowing, all right, you're not going to get anything out of this play. So take the best available option or throw it away or do something. Take the sack if you need to. And there are some situational things. I wouldn't call him J.R. Smith with the situational struggles, but there are times where your team's up and you just need to not turn the ball over here or you just need to not try to make a hero play, and he goes for it anyway. And that's where I think he will drive people nuts at times. When he has those, come on, Kirk, get rid of the ball, get rid of the ball, and then he gets strip sacked. Or when it's, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take this hit and try to fit it in that tight window, but then it's an interception. Mm-hmm. We saw a lot of that. I want a mock. mock. Oh, we have a mock. We have a mock. Not just any mock. Not just any old mock. Matthew Collins. No. You know what tonight is? Is it a utopian mock? Is uh, is it the MLB draft? Tonight is the Major League Baseball June draft. Oof. And courtesy of DraftSite.com. Ken Griffey Jr. will be going number one overall. DraftSite.com. The, what do we call it? The original full round mock draft site? <laughs> yes, that's correct. Very good, Dave. The original just, full round just mock draft, draft site. site. It's just DraftSite.com. Really lacking in originality there. But they're, they they come up on the first page of Google search engine. And, uh, and it's, SE, it's SEO friendly. That's the key here. I don't feel blasted by this mock draft like I would for a draft blast. You don't need to be original when you are the original okay. full-round <laughs> mock, mock draft, draft site. Uh, we have a five-round Major League Baseball mock <laughs> draft here for tonight. Five rounds. Five rounds. Let's, let's start in the five. fifth round and count it back. Well, I'm going to give you the the first few, and then we'll try to find the twins' picks here. Okay, uh, the the Tigers taking right-handed pitcher from Auburn, Casey Mize. The San Francisco Giants taking right-handed pitcher from Florida, Brady Singer, and uh, actually, ironically, very bad singer. Would that be irony? Yeah, I guess it'd be irony. It'd be some, it'd be some irony there. Uh, Nick Madrigal is the second baseman who mashes for Oregon State that the Gophers are going to have to deal with this week, and he's going number four. He'll be uh, Chicago Nick White Sox. Hap- happy Regal. Wow. To get drafted you're, instead of Madrigal. You're forcing okay, it. We might end this very soon. You might end this segment. You're forcing it. That, that was like Judd's first shot in the Houston Rockets <laughs> yeah. challenge, right there. Can we get to the twentieth? And pick? number twenty overall, the Minnesota Twins selecting right-handed pitcher out of Forsyth Central High School in Georgia, Ethan Hankins. But let's skip forward here. That's great uh, force like, for them no. to be able to see that he was going to get drafted no. there. No. Uh, with the 59th overall pick, the Twins take a right-handed pitcher, again from high school, Linares Torres Jr. Third, wait, there's another. There's a sandwich pick oh, here. Of course. A cop pick, late second round. Nico Horner, shortstop from Stanford. Never I'm going to leave that one alone. Uh, yeah, you should. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they had to forfeit a pick in there. Let's see here. Let's go to the fifth round. According to DraftSite.com. I'm already the original. Full round about DraftSite. Shortstop. <laughs> with the 154th overall pick, the Twins select shortstop from Burke's Catholic High School in Pennsylvania. Is it Sean Gilby? Oh, of course it is. Sean they, oh, Gilby. Yeah. But yep. they already have him. a shortstop in Adrianza. I want a mock. Mock! <laughs> I want to that is the best argument ever. The best mock draft argument for baseball, where these guys, high school players, are six years away from being mm-hmm. in the big leagues, but they already have a pitcher. 
<laughs> they already have burritos. Doesn't make sense. That All was right. that was very painful exercise right there. By the way, thank you, Collar. That's why we wanted to mock. Thank Bye, you, Matthew. Collar, right. go check out See his up. articles on fifteenhundredespn.com and his words in the Purple Podcast region of the website. Um, all right, PJ Fleck had a lot to say about the best JUCO quarterback in the country, and that player is no longer on the roster. Just a few weeks later, we'll talk about that. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. Hang on a second. On fifteen hundred ESPN.